Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Mimosas with Moms podcast. I'm your host, Abby Williams. I cannot believe that this year is the one-year anniversary of when our whole world kind of flipped upside down. Um, I just like kind of want to take a moment <laughs> um, to address it, I guess. Um, Marcus's birthday is this coming Saturday, the 13th. And it was on his birthday that our state announced um, our lockdown. And I just like can't believe that that was one whole year ago. Um, I just I remember it like it was yesterday, the fear, you know, being a seven week postpartum mom uh, with four small children and just like, what does a lockdown mean? What is coming? Um, What will this do to us? You know, there was just so much uncertainty and still, you know, a year later, there's still feelings of uncertainty, I think. Um, but mostly right now, I am burnt out. I am exhausted. Um, I'm like so ready for life to return to for real normal. Um, but I also just like, what does that even look like anymore? You know, I think that we've changed. Um, I think that there's been a lot of feelings this past year. There's been some movements um, that are much needed, but that have really driven divides in our world. Um, I don't know. There's just, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of hot. I feel like the world is hot. Our temperature is hot. And... I hope that we find some cooling as we come out of this. Um, I hope that this next year we find some common ground. I hope that we blow kindness around like glitter and confetti and it's just like everywhere. I hope that change does happen. Um, And I hope that we find, I hope that we find ourselves, you know, and not, Maybe not our past selves. I hope that we find better versions. Um, But I hope that we find our way back to one another with love, respect, with an open heart. Um, This past year has been hard. I've really been, I've been struggling. Um, I've been struggling a lot the past several weeks. And I know that in talking to a lot of you guys on my social media a lot of you guys are in it with me. A lot of you guys are feeling these way the same way, you know, this feeling of burnout, this feeling of exhaustion, this feeling of, you know, how can we be kinder to one another? There is just so much just not niceness out there right now. And, you know, I don't think that that's where change, growth, evolve comes from. I think that we really need to find a way to all be kinder, to all be approaching each other as humans, um, to find similarities, to help build each other together. Um, I don't know. I don't have all the answers and maybe I'm like fumbling over my words right now. You know, maybe I'll listen back to this like, well, you could have kind of said this a little bit better. Um, but, (laughs) but I'm tired. I, and I know you guys are too. So, just a moment to just kind of, oh, we have been through it this year. I hope that this next year is better. Um, 
And as hard as it's been, I just want you guys to kind of sit and honor yourselves that you made it. You made it through this past year, whether it's been so hard, whether you're sitting here listening right now, like I am freaking exhausted and burnt out and I just want there to be light. Um, you are so strong. You are. And you did. You made it through. It might have not always been pretty. <laughs> I know it sure as heck wasn't over here, but you did. You made it. And I think that this is a great segue into today's episode. Um, I always love topics of how we can be doing better, how we can be building connection in our home. And that's what we're talking about today. I'm joined by I'm joined with uh, Matt Larson. He is from the Human Improvement Project. Him and his co-founder found themselves asking the question a lot that was, what is the most important thing I can do to improve the long-term well-being of myself and my family? They were kind of looking at each other like neither one of them knew the answer, so they started a clinical trial to figure it out. Um, the outcome led them to create the Human Improvement Project, um, which is one of the top parenting apps in the world. Um, you can find it in your app store you can find them on on uh, Facebook, I'm sorry, on Facebook, the Human Improvement Project, and everything will be linked in the description of this podcast, but it is a 100% free app with no ads. Um, it has tons of reviews that are just completely glowing, and it really helps you figure out how can you improve the long-term well-being of yourself and your family? How can you be connecting with your children better? Um, and I think that, you know, as humans, that is our sole purpose here. And I think our children really need it. I think we really need it. And I think coming out of this year that has just kind of drug us through the mud, I'm so excited for this episode and to share this with you. So let's get started. Cheers. Matt, welcome to the Mimosas with Moms podcast. I am so excited that you are joining me today. Um, I absolutely love what you are doing, but tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and what it is that you're doing. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I, I, I really appreciate it. Um, so I kind of came into, into this nonprofit work that I'm doing now through kind of a, a strange path, a little bit of a strange path. So I had been a tech CEO and run a number of, uh, of, of companies and uh, sold a, a software company and felt really good about that. I sold it to a public company and you know, everybody made a lot of money. That was sort of a good thing. Um, but I ended up kind of going through a bit of a depression and I, I didn't really understand you know, what's going on, but I knew something was wrong. So that was sort of one clue that had happened there. And then uh, around that same time, I was walking with somebody who ended up being the, the, the co-founder of the Human Improvement Project. And we asked a pretty simple question. We said, um, what is the most important thing that I could do for my long-term well-being and that of my family. And it turned out I had no idea what that was. I could not answer for myself. I didn't know, should I eat better? Should I exercise more? Uh, I didn't know. And he didn't know either. And we thought, well, that's kind of, 
you know, in business, you there's this big focus of, you know, for, of successful businesses of what's the most important thing we should be working on. And if you're working on, you know, something that's not important, it doesn't matter how good of a job you do. So we realized in our personal lives, we didn't know that. We didn't have any idea. So just out of curiosity, we uh, created this clinical trial where we hired participants. And then we also had a series of experts. And so, you know, we had psychiatrists and psychologists and nutritionists and fitness people and medical doctors, you name it. And we would basically have the experts would give us questions and we would go ask a participant the question. So we might go to Bob and say, okay, Bob, here's the first set of questions. And Bob would give his answers. Yeah. We'd go back to the experts and the experts would then give custom follow-up questions just for Bob. And we go back and forth, back and forth until finally it seemed like, okay, this seems to be Bob's number one issue and number two issue. And this is Sally's one and two issue and so on. Well, what shocked us was that all of our participants had either one of two issues at the very top of their list. And we didn't know either one of them. So we start researching this, talking to a bunch of professors and, and, and pretty quickly we find out that, oh, you guys just rediscovered these two things that Harvard and the CDC discovered. And by the way, they, along with genetics, are the primary factor for a slew of societal problems from criminal behavior to anxiety, to depression, to homelessness, uh, drug and alcohol abuse. I mean, you name it, bullying. And we're like, you, this can't be right. How can these these two issues be out there. You guys clearly know about them. The public has no idea. And yet they seem to be the core factors for all of these societal problems. What were the two issues? Well, um, so the first issue, so these are both hormones in the body, but and, yeah. and hormones in, in, in the body work on, do lots of things. So each one does 20 things in your body. So no hormone is either good nor bad. But but so the first one, um, which we call the long-term unhappiness chemical, is cortisol, but only in a very specific situation. And that is only in the situation where the person is nervous that something's about to happen that will cause their emotions to suddenly plummet. Yeah. So a real common example, and this happened in my family, is this is kind of a, an example of why, you know, families with, you know, quote, good parents end up having kids who struggle later in life. Um is that I, I asked my kids, is there something that I do? Are you nervous around me? Are you nervous when you're around me that I'll do something that um, would make your emotion suddenly plummet? And two of my kids said no, but one of them said, oh, all the time. I'm always nervous that you're going to uh, to basically say something sarcastic that to him really hurt his feelings. Yeah. And I, you know, I might have only been doing that, let's say once a month. And I think that's, you know, maybe pretty common that we do something right. like that. But he was nervous around me the entire month. And he had that elevated cortisol level that is the bad kind that you don't, you know, that you don't want where they're, they're nervous something's about to, to happen. So that's the first one. And there's all sorts of activities, um, you know, that relate to that. But that's the first category that we can, that, that we can measure. The second one is uh, what we call the long-term happiness chemical. And that is oxytocin. But it's, again, only in a very specific situation. And that is when it is released inside of safe relationships, yeah. Um, and so th there's some really simple ways to release it that are easy to understand. And that's um, giving somebody a hug, for example, um, holding hands with, you know, your romantic partner or something like that. That 
that's the sort of the light stuff. So it turns out um, when we look at romantic relationships, one of the reasons why we think they tend to degrade over time is that we stop doing a lot of that touching. When we have an early relationship, we'll hold hands all the time and hug all the time. But then as it matures, we kind of think, oh, that's what you know, people who are really you know, new relationships do. It yeah. turns out we're probably starving um, each other of oxytocin. We get irritated with each other. We don't really know why. Um, and same thing with kids. When they're little, we hug them all the time. We do all that stuff. We give them tons of this long-term happiness. And then as they get older, we start starving them of it yeah. as a, like, sort of a societal thing. So these are the two fundamentals. And I like to liken it to scurvy and vitamin C. So most people kind of know that scurvy was a massive problem in you know sailors, right? So Magellan and Vasco da Gama would lose 70 to 90% of their crew to scurvy. And so, and this happened for hundreds of years and it was really confusing because some crews came back with, you know, less uh, of that, you know, less people dying from scurvy and so on. And it's, it was because vitamin C was in, in various amounts and all sorts of fruits and vegetables and everything else. And also it could get destroyed, you know, by the sun, it could get destroyed by heating the food. There were all these, you know, different things that, that could happen. So it was really complicated because it was in everything. Yeah. And, you know, so everyone had their theories about what was happening and most of them were, were wrong, but fundamentally that we eventually figured out it's vitamin C and that's what's happening with these two things. These two things are in all sorts of things that we do. We're getting a little bit of the good stuff and a little bit of the bad stuff. And so we kind of have an idea of that hugs are good, right? right. But we didn't really understand the fundamentals that these are these are like the vitamin Cs. These are the two things that basically seem to, you know, to predict all of these, uh, you know, long-term outcomes uh, like depression. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And so I'm a therapist with kids and tweens and teens. Um, probably like the youngest that I see is around five and the oldest that I see is around 17. And a lot of like these adolescent tweenish years, there's not been probably a single client that I've seen in all the years that I've been doing therapy that don't say things like, you know, my mom is always like hugging on the baby or my toddler's younger sisters, you know, get to cuddle with my mom in their bed, but I'm not allowed to do that anymore. And they are verbalizing some of the things that you're saying, you know, of I'm being starved for this physical and loving connection. You know, I, I still want to cuddle. And I think that, you know, we see these kids growing up and I don't know like what shifts that they're not allowed to lay with you and the cuddles you know do turn off but they are still so little and they still do need those loves and connections um so what are now you've like collected all this data then what happens on your journey here so so we then basically say okay we're both tech CEOs. And what people yeah. don't realize about that is that there are, to be really successful, there's sort of these two sciences that you need to know in that world. One yeah. of them is the science of communication. Yeah. And so you have to be really good at saying, you know, at, at positioning to, you know, how they'll receive it well, how the customer will be motivated to do it, making sure you're really talking to the pains that they have and so on. So we realized our community is really good at that to be, you know, really successful at that. So 
we had that skill set. And then we also had the skill set of how to scale, um, which we could see pretty quickly. Academics didn't really understand that. Their idea is like, well, you know, let's get, you know, a, a, a room in the basement of a community center and try to get people into there. And it's just super inefficient, you know, kind right. of get involved in those things. So because we had asked them, like, you know, why isn't the word out? And that, what this one professor said is, Matt, I've been given talks on this for 20 years and it just doesn't resonate. I can't get people to get it or to care about it. And so that was the opportunity for us. We said, okay, this is huge. We think, you know, we'll take a shot at this. We might fail also, but we'll, we'll see. So we embarked on this journey of testing all, you know, of kind of knowing what these fundamental two issues were, right. but testing all sorts of different ways of saying. It. And one thing that we found out was that the academics almost could not have picked worse terminology. When we tested it, it was like <laughs> as bad as you could get using words like trauma, for example. Right. So that term, um, you know, is, really turns people off and makes well, them- it doesn't resonate probably with like your average person right so like like you kind of said about yourself that you had one child that was triggered by some of like the car- sarcastic comments and we probably all have a child in the home that does get triggered by some kind of reaction or some way that you're communicating, right? But when you phrase it in a way of I'm traumatizing my child or my child is going through this trauma, you know, it's like, oh, no, 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 that's not what I'm doing, right? Right. And and you get like defensive almost. Right. It's either, oh, that's not what I'm doing. So this doesn't apply to me. Or there's that, you know, sinking pit of your stomach (laughs) of maybe it does apply to me. I want to think about anything else except this, right? right. Trauma is a great one. People would confuse it with, with um, you know, like being in a car wreck, right? That was kind of an example of that. So there right. were all these messaging issues that's like, oh, no wonder why this couldn't get out. So yeah. we worked on, you know, kind of, you know, doing this in a, in a way that would lead to behavioral change. That was really important to us to measure that because yeah. otherwise, what's the point? Um, but one of the things that we discovered was that, we we as a society largely don't know how to develop deep bonds. Deep bonds are very random. Like when you think about your friendships, it's like, yeah, you know, this person and I, we really hit it off. And so we're friends. And these other people who kind of seem like, you know, similar things, we have similar interests, we just didn't hit it off. Right. That is what happens and it's okay in friendships, but that also is what happens in our family. So yeah. statistically, That'll happen with our kids. So the odds are, and this is a little scary. I don't, we don't normally talk about this, but the odds are that if somebody doesn't understand the science of deep bonds, a parent doesn't, the odds are that they won't have a deep bond with their adult child when their child grows up. And so we realized pretty quickly, one of the things that we needed to do was teach the science of how to build a deep bond. Because again, the experts you know, knew all this already, but the public didn't. We didn't know this, right? And so it's right. like something's really off here. So that's one of the things that we practiced was basically you know, practice meaning with as we would run participants through this, this training material and, and then you know, change it was, uh, you know, it was that, was that what we needed to do was teach uh, the science of deep bonds um, and then as a, as a therapist, you'll, you'll probably appreciate this other one. So instead of talking about trauma and scaring everybody, right. we realized that what we really needed to do was teach people how to help their loved ones process their emotions just on a day-to-day basis. So 
Uh, I, I live here in Colorado, so I kind of use the ski analogy of a, there's the bunny slope, right, which is the really easy skiing. And then there's greens, which are a little harder and blues. And then the very hardest are these double black diamonds. And so we don't want anybody starting on the double black diamonds. That's a disaster. You got to start on the bunny slope. So we teach people how to help in their family process each other's small issues. So somebody, you know, had a bad day at school or a bad day at work, just minor issues. But we teach them the skills there. And as they, bec they become good at that skill, they you know, become better and better and eventually are able to handle the harder stuff. But that it also, it, it turns out that the number one way to build a deep bond with somebody is to help them process their emotions when they're upset. So people think, no, the way I bond with my kid is I take them to the park or, you know, we take throw them the baseball around, throw the baseball around, take right. them to Disneyland, um, feed them organic food, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. But the number one way to build a deep bond with anyone is to help them process their emotions, whether it's these small emotions or you eventually build up the skill and you can, they'll, you can handle the bigger ones and they'll trust you with the bigger ones. Um, so anyways, there's, there's a lot of things that, you know, that we cover in our apps, but, um, but that, that's part of what it kind of boils down to is that, um, is, is the science of deep bonds and that frankly, it's what we think that we do right is often completely wrong when we look at the research. <laughs> Isn't that a bummer? And, you yeah. know, I think that this is like the most important thing in parenting is the parent child bond the parent-child relationship, nurturing that relationship. I think that that sets children up to be more successful adults. Um, you then have a support system and a helper for when you are an adult. Who can I still call? I can still call my mom. I can right. still call my dad. You know, you don't like outgrow those relationships. You grow with them. Um, so I think that this work is so important. I think it is so needed. And I, so now you have developed these apps and I want to like talk about that and how you're helping parents get plugged in there. Because I think, you know, we're in a society now where I think why a lot of this research probably didn't make it to the homes was because we're busy, right? We're not listening to talks. We're not reading as much. You know, we're go, go, go. You have two working parents in the home. You've got sports and, you know, all this bombarding of you need to feed your kid organic foods. You need to be working on their resume so that they can get to a great college. They need to be doing all these extracurriculars, you know, and I think that we're bombarded with so much other information that we're missing this really, really important piece. Um, so now you've developed this app. Talk, tell us about what the app is, what it helps families do, and how it's helping change families. Sure. So the, the app is called The Happy Child. We actually have two yeah. apps. We have one called The Happy Child and another one called In Love While Parenting. They're pretty similar. They're just slightly geared uh, uh, differently. Um the apps were released uh, about six, eight months ago. They're now the number one parenting apps in the world. We're in 165 countries, yeah. 15 different languages. Um, it's, it's, it's really just taken off. It's, uh, you know, kind of overwhelming in a sense, but in a, in a, in a great in a way. Good way. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, you touched on so many, you know, great subjects there, but one of them 
you know, is this, this concept of these deep bonds with parents and the importance of them. And so we discovered that in kind of an interesting way. We were doing this couple study yeah. where we were, we were uh, talking to, di- to different couples. And one of the questions in this study is we said, uh, when we're talking to, uh, these were heterosexual couples, we're talking to a husband and wife and we said, Hey, you know, those moments when you really get irritated with each other and you haven't, you know, you don't talk for a day or two, you're just kind of grumpy. And these are people who were married 15 to 20 years. Right. Uh, and we would occasionally get some people who looked at each other more confused. They were like, we don't do have that. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? They, you, you get, um, you know, we're irritated with each other for two days. I go, do you, do you think we do that? No. Do you think we do that? No. And and me and me, my co-founder are looking at each other like, are we asking the question wrong? Something's, how could this, how could you be married 15 to 20 years and not have that? Well, we eventually figured out what was happening is that these are, these were couples that had four deep parental bonds. So the, the wife had a deep bond with both her father and mother, and the husband had a deep bond with his father and mother. And they ended up having these just these remarkably stable, loving relationships um, that just we we just couldn't believe it. And then, you know, that led us to, you know, there's all sorts of evidence about, you know, deep bonds being really important. And, you know, so a child who has who doesn't have a deep bond with either parent is at a clear disadvantage uh, to one that has even just one. Even one is enormous. Um, and then, you know, two or more, and the the second one doesn't have to be another parent. It could be a grandparent. It could be, you know, some other figure like that, but the, the number of those close relationships that that child has is, is, is really predictive. Um, and so, you know, we don't want to leave that up to chance. We don't want to leave that because what happens now is we bond with the, the kids who, um, either are like us, they just have kind of personalities like us or maybe they need our help. And so we're like, oh, we've got this independent one. They don't need our help. And, but this other one needs my help. And so we spend a lot of time with them. So there's a, you know, and, and some others that I'm forgetting, but, but it's, it's, it's too coincidental. And so parents should have a goal. This should be a goal that they think about at least once a month of, you know, how's my bond with my child? Now, sometimes people go, well, does that mean I'm supposed to just be their best friend? And no, I mean, how you should think of it is you have two you know, two hats on. So the default hat is, you know, you're going day to day and you're their friend. You, you treat them, you joke around with them like you do with your friends. And you kind of do that when a parenting moment comes up, like they hit a sibling, for example, put that parenting hat back on and you act like a parent, you, you know, you handle that situation, you know, as it needs to be handled. Um, but the more you have a close bond with them, sort of the less often you have to put on you know, that parenting hat, at least for sort of behavioral issues. Now you'll source, you'll, you'll still need to when there's, you know, you got to give them advice and things right. like that. But one key thing that, you know, that we learned from this, that was kind of surprising when I saw it really play out in my family is parents have one of two goals. So the vast majority of parents, their goal with that child, if they're really honest about it, is to influence the child, is to say, I want that child to make the same decision that I would make if I were in their shoes. That is the number one goal. They just want to admit it. We're all, we were all in this boat. Now it turns out the child's smart enough to figure that out. They know that your goal is to influence their behavior. And so they will push back on that. Yeah. They will say, I don't want a close relationship with somebody who's always trying to influence me. Um, And so, and if they try to influence me, I'm often actually going to do the opposite of that behavior. So 
if that's your goal, and it is, it was my goal too, right? Until I sort of learned all this. If that's your goal, you will not only not influence them, you will not have a deep bond with them either. Because how many friends do you have that are always trying to change you, right? Not, that's not most people's friends, right? Most of our close friends are the ones who really value our friendship. And right. so, but, and here's the, the good thing. If the parent's goal, primary goal is to have a deep bond with them, it'll still be a secondary goal to influence them. The child will also pick up on that. They'll say, this parent's primary goal is to be close with me. Um, and so they will be. And they'll also come to you for advice. Like this really shocked me. When I first knew this, like every parent, I'm constantly giving my kids advice and they're constantly, you know, ignoring, not constantly. Right. They're, you know, they're, they're glazing over like, okay, dad. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. But then it was strange. Like once I realized this and, you know, it, it took some time, maybe six months or so, my kids would start coming to me and asking for advice and, you know, including my teenagers. And so, um, but that's what happens when we have a close friend. Let's say we have two people in our life, right? We have a close friend, let's say our best friend. And then we have somebody who's always trying to influence us. Who do you go to for advice? Well, right. you definitely don't go to the person who's always giving you advice because it's just going to unleash even more advice that you don't want. You go to your close friends, even though they may not be the best advice. Right. So that's just sort of, you know, kind of how we're, we're wired there. So we teach all sorts of lessons like, you know, like, like I've talked about there that, that help parents build those deep bonds, help them, you know, understand these similar concepts. Matt, like at the beginning of this um, conversation, you know, you're having this walk with your buddy and you're like, you know, what is your goal for your family? Has your goal changed? Is it now to form these deep bonds or is it something bigger? I mean, inside my family, all of us know this, um, this lesson that I think all families should know. And that is yeah. when you have any two members of a family, whether it's, you know, me and one of my kids or one of my kids with their sibling, if they have a deep bond, they will both have higher long-term well-being. If they don't have a bond with, let's say, you know, two, two siblings, they will both have a lower long-term well-being. Well, when the whole family knows that, suddenly their interactions, in a way, because we're all selfish creatures, that selfish element comes into it of like, if I go hit my sibling, if I make fun of my sibling, then that hurts our bond and we both are going to have lower long-term well-being. So when you get, you know, the family really knowing that and, and you do things like, like we do in our family where we might ask our kids about, let's say one of their friends, we might say, so your friend, are they a close family? Do they, does your friend, you know, um, Sally, ha Sally's terrible, you know, example of that, but does she have, you know, does she have a close relationship with her brother? Does she have a close relationship with her parents? Yeah. When you sort of make that the thing that they're looking at and measuring, then we measure it and, you know, sort of subconsciously in, inside of our family, but we do talk openly about it. It's, you know, you, my kids will, you'll see them purposefully go out of their way to you know, have a, a, a bond building activity with one of their siblings, or they're really good about if, you know, mom's upset, uh, they're very good at noticing that immediately and going and comforting her, which is one of the, the things that uh, is, is critical to, you know, building deep bonds. So inside of our family, yes, the goal is to have deep, that's probably the primary goal is to have right. deep bonds for with each other. And then this underlying goal, which is what builds deep bonds is to help each other particularly when we're having a tough time to notice right away. And because that's actually another thing is, so when you're upset, 
let's say with a, a, a romantic partner. Yeah. If you're upset, there's actually almost like a timer going off in your brain. When you enter the room with them, a timer going off in your brain of how long is it going to take them to notice? The longer it takes. <laughs> Not me. The, the longer it takes, everybody, we're all in this. The more your amygdala, this primitive portion of your brain will start lighting up. So are you you know, one of your goals is to, is, uh, you know, when you have, um, you know, a spouse or a magic partner or a, a child is when they're upset to notice is as quickly as you can. So I kind of joke about like, you get a gold medal. If you notice within a minute, we you know, all just want to be seen. We all, we all want to be seen, particularly yeah. when we're upset because yeah. in the, in the past, when we were upset, let's say we were in tribal societies, you know, you know, a long time ago, our ancestors, if you, if you were upset and I didn't notice, then that may have been, you may have been upset because some wild animals about to attack you. And I didn't notice, well, that was a really bad thing for you. Right. So if you didn't care about that, you weren't going to live very long. So if, if I didn't notice that you were upset, you would come and let me know it. Right. You, because your safety was really on the line there. Well, we're, we still are wired that way, right? I mean, we're in modern society now, but our brains are not modern, right? We've, you know, lived in tribal societies, you know, 99% or more of our, you know, of our history. So um, that, that there's a timer. It's like, if you're a gold medalist, if you can see a loved one and they're upset and you notice and care in that one minute, or if you can do it in three minutes, you're a silver medalist, you know, you get the silver medal. If you can do it in, you know, 10 minutes, you get sort of the bronze, but that's how our brains are wired. So, so we have some other family goals like that. Now, I would say as a sort of a broader goal, um, you know, it's, it's to help, uh, to, you know, teach the world about this stuff because so yeah. many kids are, you know, you know going to grow up and have difficult lives if, if their parents don't learn, you know, this. That's certainly our broader goal. Yeah. And I, I agree because I think, you know, our relationships with our parents – and especially our mothers, sorry, moms, for dumping the load on you guys, really shapes the rest of your relationships throughout your life. Um, definitely and, does, yeah. And, and to, yeah, go, to go back to the siblings and noticing each other and them building their bonds, and you kind of talked about the kids in your home, are there tips or things that we can be doing to help facilitate this, and especially like starting young? Um, I know like in my house when I have toddlers in my house and when there's a dispute among something, I say, hold on, hold on. You know, and I say, look, you know, Josie's having a hard time right now. Like we need to come in and do this, you know, with the other one. And note, that's how we kind of help each other know, you know, we, we put language to it, right? Of right. This sibling is having a hard time. Let's come help her do this. You know, she's having a hard time. She really wants to play with this toy. How do we talk about this? How are we going to share this toy? Um, but are there things that are built into your apps or your program that is helping these siblings with these communication skills? Sure. So a, a couple things is one, and you know, you you certainly know this, and I've probably talked about talked about it on this before, but. This it's really important to uh, to name and label these underlying emotions. So we talk about like you don't really want to 
you know, let's say you're talking to a toddler, say, uh, you know, um, she's sad right now, or she's mad right now. Actually for a toddler, that might actually be okay. That, that, that thing. But let's say for a little older kid, those are, those are pretty broad. They aren't really getting into the underlying emotions. And so we talk right. about how labeling things, you know, at a deeper level make a lot more sense. So somebody might be mad, but, but that's again, too broad of a term. It's really that they're frustrated that the sibling, you know, took that toy from them and they're, um, they, they might be, you know, sad or disappointed that, that mom didn't step in right away. Uh, and you know, some, some other things like that, they're tired, maybe what, you know, might be another one. So, using those, try to get, you know, an emotion list. Um, yeah. we, have, we have them in our app, but, and, and get really sort of build their vocabulary on what emotions they're feeling. And we're usually, anytime that we're upset, we're almost always having at least three to, to five emotions. And so if you can, as a parent, be, you know, very good at helping them label that, what that really does is it helps the logical parts of their brain, like the, the prefrontal cortex, where we that's what we're using right now as we're, we're thinking and talking. It helps that part calm down these more primitive parts of our brain, like the amygdala, the part that, you know, notices right away when there's a snake. So that's a that's a really important skill. Now, so along with that, for older kids, older kids start fighting a lot. Right. And what we tend to do is have all sorts of ways of trying to to handle that. Um, But what we found is works is is basically rather than saying whose fault is it? Because, right, they both think it's the other person's fault is to have them give them an emotion list if they can read, if they're at that, that age or you can help them as a parent and help them name the emotions of the other child. So say, okay. Uh, let's say I've, I've got, you know, two, two teenagers and I say, okay, th- this incident happened. Now I want you to name the three emotions that your sibling have and why they had it and then reverse the roles. They both do that. And if they both do that, then there's no penalties and, um, you know, they don't get anything taken away or something like that. It turns out when you do that, when you name the emotions of somebody that you would offend, if you're about to offend them again, you will feel those emotions. So let's say I, I say something that embarrasses you. Let's say I'm a teenager. We like, you know, we embarrass each other because it's sort of a horrible life phase that we all have to go through. <laughs> so I, I say something to embarrass you, maybe because somebody's embarrassed me. And so, but yeah, so if I do that, and if, if I don't have to feel your feelings, then I'll say it again tomorrow. Right. But if I have to say, look, when I, you know, when that happened, she felt embarrassed that I made fun of her hair or, or whatever that is. Well, when I say that, I actually feel some of that embarrassment. So what happens in the the brain is we're very emotion driven. So when I'm now about to say it again, I'm about to say something that's going to embarrass you again, the brain will make me feel embarrassed. So it'll actually stop me because I don't want to feel it. Right. It's weird how that works, but we're, we're, we're selfish highly, people. We're selfish people. <laughs> so, and we're often driven. I mean, a lot of our actions are driven either by trying to get positive emotions, like yeah. you know, get ice cream or avoiding negative emotions. And so that's really what we're using there. If we, and we have a, something on our, our website that kind of explains this in more detail of how to handle, you know, siblings that are fighting, yeah. but that's essentially you're, you're tapping in that mechanism instead of saying, Hey, don't, you know, say that to your sister or something. You're making it where you don't have to tell them to because they'll they'll just have that instinct that they'll start they'll they won't understand it. Is right about to say it, they'll feel embarrassed and they'll stop and 
just the, the more you do that back and forth, uh, what you'll find is that uh, sibling tensions go down. That along with, again, this emphasis on, hey, are you building a bond with your sibling right now? Or are you tearing that down? Because if you tear it down, you're both going to be, you know, less happy, you know, going forward. So. Yeah. Matt, well, you kind of reiterate again, the importance of building these bonds, understanding this language and communication and in correlation with our long-term well-being. I'm, I'm sorry. Did, did you just say that, um, I, I did correlate that or was that, was that a question? What, can you kind of reiterate how um, building these bonds correlates with our long-term well-being? It, it does. So let me, I guess, kind of tell a, a different story of sort of what, why we think this happens, all right? What's right. The, the fundamental reasons of why, do, why are deep bonds so important? Why are we so hardwired for that? What we think is happening is this this um, uh, this concept called centerness. So if we look at uh, tribes uh, a right. long time ago, tribes that let's say could get attacked by other tribes, the higher your rank, the the more center you are in that campsite. So the chief of the tribe sleeps right in the center with his family, right? The lowest ranking members of the tribe are out on the edges of that circle. Well, why? Right. Well, it's because if an attack comes, they, it comes from the side, right? So you'd rather have the lower member of the tribe die than to have your chief die. And now, you know, every, you have all sorts of issues. Same thing with herd animals. So uh, 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 cows, if cows are in the middle of a pasture, the cow in the center is the highest ranking cow. The cows on the edges are the lowest ranking cows. So the edge is dangerous. The center is, is where safety is. And so if, if, we, if we had ancestors who were like, I don't care about all that nonsense, then they were going to be on the edges or they were even going to be by themselves and then attacked and killed pretty quickly, right? They, right. they weren't around to pass those genes. So if we have something that uh, makes us feel more centered, if it's like somebody says, hey, you know, nice hair or something, we'll get some oxytocin, that makes us feel more centered, right? Oh, somebody, you know, likes something about me. That must mean I'm centered towards the group. We'll get oxytocin. If somebody said the reverse thing of, man, your hair looks terrible. What a horrible haircut. We'll get cortisol because we're being pushed to the out uh, of the group. It's like, oh, that's not, you know, that's not good. So those are the, the two chemicals. And so, uh, and deep bonds are almost like the the most important ways to get that because if, you know, we all really need some, some close relationships because who's going to really take care of you if you're sick, if you don't have any deep bonds, right? Who's going to, mm. you know, uh, if you're out of money and have nothing to eat and you don't have any deep bonds, who's going to feed you? So we are highly, highly wired to seek both centerness in our family and these, and, you know, you get that by having these, uh, these deep bonds. So a very simple thing that you can do is sort of draw a circle and say, here's our family. Um, if who's in the middle of the family, who's dead center in the family and people, kids will almost always say, Oh, that's mom. Mom's right in the center of the family. And then say, well, where are you? Are you kind of out close on the edge or are you in there close with mom? And, and where's everybody else? And it's really interesting. You'll see some kids that say, oh, I'm in there close to mom and so is everybody else. And they'll kind of draw. And those kids do feel centered, right? They do yeah. feel close. But then other kids will say, 
uh, well, mom's in there and maybe another sibling, which is close to mom, but I'm out here on the edge. And sometimes they'll pull another sibling out with them. So yeah. that they'll say, me and, me and this other sibling are out on the edge. Talk to that sibling and they might think they're in the middle. But so, so that's really where it all comes from is that we are sort of hardwired for these tribes. Being in the center of the tribe uh, means we're safer. Having close relationships means we're safer. That's where it all comes from. But it, it is the brain that we have. And so, you know, we and now we kind of understand the fundamentals here. And so if we can optimize those, we can really transform society. Yeah. Matt, tell my listeners where they can find you, where they can find your organization and where they can find the apps. So, yeah, I recommend the apps. That is kind of the best way is, is so uh, you can just search for the happy child uh, or even if you just search for parenting or the, the number one uh, you know apps pretty much anywhere in the world. So you'll probably see it. But it's the happy child. Uh, if you want to, you can also go to our website. There's there's research there, for example, the, uh, about this kind of stuff I've talked about today. So that's humanimprovement.org. Matt, thank you so much for joining me. Cheers to better parent-child bonds. And again, just thank you so much for all the work that you are doing. I think that this topic is so important and these apps and ways to bring this information to parents is so, so important and so, so needed. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thanks.